Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 39. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But Jesus did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she was crying out after us. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But the woman came and knelt before Jesus, saying, Lord, help me. And Jesus answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, A woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven, and as few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boats and went to the region of Magadan. We'll pause there, um, and we're going to look at part one, which is uh, on your sheet. And I've called it From Breadcrumbs to Bread Baskets. And hopefully as I was reading that, you can see what, uh, what I meant by that. From Breadcrumbs to Bread Baskets. We're back in Matthew, and we're asking the question... Jesus' kingdom, who is it for? We've been hearing about Jesus' kingdom in Matthew, but who is it for? Who's invited? Uh, It's an important question for everyone sitting here, as far as I can see, and it's an important question for us as a church, because we need to know this for sure, who Jesus' kingdom is for. As we go out uh, to the houses here in Beckentree, are we barking up the right tree? Or are we getting carried away with ourselves? Who is invited? And if you're invited, what are you invited to? Because uh, it's actually, is it, could it be like most modern wedding invitations? By that I mean you've got to check the details carefully. Or it will end in embarrassment for you. I'm speaking from experience. By that I mean you, you think you're going for the whole thing, for the full programme. And you find out you're actually just invited to the evening thing. And you, you've overshot it. You assumed, that, you assumed that you were invited to the whole thing, and yet you only get in parts. We're going to be asking that question. This is what Jesus' disciples and Matthew's first readers needed to think through. Because they'd begun to see Jesus as the Messiah, promised in the Old Testament, 
and the fulfilment of all the promises. But there was so much about Jesus and his mission and kingdom that they just didn't get. And one of the things is, who's invited? Is it for, for Jews, for Israel? And Israel only? Well, so far in Matthew, there's been a handful of unexpected inclusions to Jesus' kingdom. There's been a Roman centurion. Do you remember him? What did Jesus say? You have great faith. Because he came, he said, Jesus, you just need to say the word and it will happen. Back in chapter 8. There's a demoniac as well, a guy who was demon-possessed outside of Israel. And Jesus saved him. We heard Jesus' surprising prediction in that chapter uh, that people from east and west would come and be at the banquet, the final banquet, sitting down with Abraham, Jacob and Isaac. And this is the second preview of that banquet. It's, it's, it's a feast, isn't it? In, in, at the end of this chap, uh, the bit we just read, it's a feast. You know, it started off with not much at all, packed lunch. But now everyone's feasting and they're sat down and they've got plenty. You know, Jesus knows how to throw a party and this is a banquet. And that's actually a foretaste of his kingdom. Because he's including many people, all people, into his kingdom. And he's feeding them. And it's, it's surprising because it's happening in an all-Gentile place. We read about that, don't we? Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman. So these are people who are questionable. Are they, are they in God's kingdom or not? Are they invited even? And are they invited to, to part of the celebration? Like the after party? Or are they invited to the whole celebration with Jesus and the banquet? So that's what we're going to be looking at. Before we get to the baskets full of bread, though, we, let's start, as Matthew intends us to, with breadcrumbs. And that's the first story, isn't it? Um, before we get, get to the crowds, Matthew wants to slow down the action and zoom in on one lady. In outward terms, she couldn't be more unclean in, in respect to the Jewish way of thinking. She couldn't be more unclean because she's a Canaanite, from pagan land, and she is a woman, and they—they, they, you know, that was that was to be unclean. Um, and yet she refers to Jesus. What does she call Jesus? This is really surprising. In verse twenty-two, she says, "Have mercy on me, O Lord, son." You got it right, Catherine, son of David. Get this. This is a lady from outside of Israel who is saying Jesus is the Messiah because she's using the name of the Messiah son of David uh, we've seen that in, in Matthew's gospel in fact Matthew opens his gospel in chapter 1 with this is the genealogy of Jesus the son of David he's the Messiah and, and it's really surprising that this is coming from the mouth of Gentile lips not Jewish lips this woman has started to see who Jesus is. She gets it. He's the Messiah. And as a result, she cries out, have mercy on me. So let's look at her um, and, and the conversation that she has with Jesus. And we're going to see that the discussion 
which concerns the scope of Jesus' kingdom. Who's invited? It starts off between Jesus and the disciples, actually, that discussion. Because it's something that he wants to teach them. And then he talks to her. So let's look at that in verse um, 23. Okay, this is surprising. Jesus did not answer her. Huh? You, we always expect Jesus to do something straight away. He did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So that's the conversation, the, the inside discussion with the disciples. And what's Jesus saying? Well, his answer, first looking in, seems to be, he seems to be both reluctant and rude, doesn't it? Let's be honest, it seems reluctant and rude. First, he doesn't even answer her. Next, he has an inside chat. And later, his words seem dismissive, don't they? She is causing quite a scene, though. And imagine, you know, she's, she's raising her voice. Jesus, 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 son of David, have mercy on me. And so the disciples, well, they're a bit embarrassed. They certainly seem to be because they're saying, send her away. Not just, like, get lost. Just, just give her what she wants so that she's, you know, so that she's not causing so much of a scene. They say, send her away, for she was crying out after us. Jesus' reply is, I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The matter seems to be settled. The disciples don't ask Jesus again, do they? But not the woman. The disciples let the matter go, but she is persistent. She's not giving up. It seems Matthew contrasts their lack of dispute, the disciples' lack of dispute with Jesus on the subject of who's included, with her boldness. She wouldn't have heard Jesus' words to them. But on approach, she throws herself down at Jesus' feet and repeats her plea, doesn't she? She says in verse 25, But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. The disciples had witnessed great miracles of Jesus. Why didn't they expect it now and here? Maybe they'd yet to grasp to what she clearly had. That based on who Jesus is, his kingdom is unrestricted and universal. It's not just for the Jews. It's got to have an impact on everybody, every nation around the world. Jesus is the son of God and his kingdom is unrestricted. Well, it seems they don't grasp the full scope of that. It's a Gentile crowd. This isn't what Jesus spoke about to them. And yet the signs of the Messiah performed there are just the same. So on your sheet it says the signs of the Messiah performed there are just the same. So remember in chapter 14 we had Jesus healing the crowds. And then we had the feeding of the... Okay, you're on the ball. Um, Here we have Jesus in verse 29 and 30. And great crowds came to him, bringing them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. And then we had the feeding of the 4,000. So everything that was done for the Jews in chapter 14 is on offer for the Gentiles. So the full blessing of the Messiah, his restoration, which actually shows that he is the promised Messiah for them. The one who will save them. And he opens blind eyes. So that they can see who he is. Spiritually as well as physically. 
Jesus' response to the woman comes across, at least to us, blunt and offensive, doesn't it, at first? But actually there's more than meets the eye. Because we can, we can bet that Jesus hasn't walked all the way from Galilee to Tyre and Sidon on foot. Just to hurl a race, racial slur at a suffering woman. He hasn't walked all the way from Galilee to Tyre and Sidon on foot to hurl a racial slur at a suffering woman. We can guarantee that. So what does he mean when he calls her, or he uses the expression dog? That's what he says, isn't it? He says, it would be not be right, when she says, Lord, help me, he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. The derogatory term used by just the common Jew uh, for any non-Jew was a wild dog. You, you probably have them in Kenya, don't you? Actually, every dog in Kenya is wild. <laughs> so you wouldn't need a different expression. It just means wild dog. But... Um, but wild dog and Jesus' expression or his picture the picture is of a home so instantly we know there's a difference it's subtle and obviously subtle to us uh, but, but we see in her response that she gets the invitation because he's not saying you're outside the house he's saying you have the opportunity you're, you're, in, you're in the home. It's, it's enough of a glimpse for her to see that there is no... Jesus is just opening the door just slightly uh, to the possibility. So the picture Jesus gives is different. We see it by its setting. It's inside the home. Precisely by using a subtly similar term, Jesus is, in fact, quite playfully... You know, he's probably said it with a smile. She's heard the accusation. She's heard that slur hundreds of times, no doubt. And we see in her response, don't we? Far from taking offence. So what did she say? She said, yes, Lord. Far from taking offence, she doesn't deny what's been said. Her response is meek. And yet outrageously bold. Dog-like even. You know, you only need to leave the door open and the dog barges through and wants whatever's on offer. You know, so there's a, a humility. She knows she's not... She's, her status isn't great in front of the, who Jesus is. She's willing to be humbled and say, yes, Lord. But she's also willing to be bold. And Jesus has invited her to be bold and to ask, to keep asking, to pursue it further. And, and she does, doesn't she? She says... Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. So she's got the invitation there. Even the dogs in the home get fed. And so Jesus, I want in. Even if it's a crumb from the table, the cast off of the Jews, the, the part of your kingdom that isn't, you know, that just, that they don't want. You know, children are messy eaters, aren't they? You know, dogs hang around Eddie's table um, actually cats do um, because when we eat in the garden they just know there's stuff flying everywhere and, and she says even if it's a crumb from your table I want it because Jesus your kingdom is the only kingdom and your kingdom is the one that can transform my life and she comes humbly because she says have mercy but she comes with boldness because she knows that there's that he's the one she needs to go to. 
And faith, she says, Jesus says this is great faith. <laughs> and, and faith isn't the, oh, let's just ask for anything we want and God will give it to us. But faith is coming to Jesus uh, for salvation. <laughs> Believing who he is, that he can save you. And um, it might not be the, the great life or the, or the amazing riches that people have promised you in the past and it's not true. Uh, but, but he can save you. And she says, have mercy on me. That prayer is just a tiny prayer, isn't it? Have mercy on me. But it's, it's exactly what she needs. And Jesus is exactly the one that can offer it to her. So Jesus' response at first comes across blunt and offensive. Uh, but the crumbs, metaphorically, are falling from the table already. What, what the Jews saw of Jesus and experienced of Jesus, the crumbs have already be- began to fall from their table. Because here's a woman, and she asks for the crumbs. And she's, she has the full acceptance from Jesus. She, he says in verse 28, Be it done for you as you desire. And the daughter was healed instantly. So this is a woman outside of God's, of Israel, um, who sees who Jesus is, and, and her life is transformed. The crumbs are falling from the table. So that's the breadcrumbs. Uh, we're going to have our next reading, uh, which is in, uh, we're going to do a little bit of chapter 12. So keep your finger in chapter 12. Um, we're going to read three verses in chapter 12, not a big bit. And then we're going to jump back to chapter 16, which is where we got to, um, and read that as well. It's on your sheet if you need it. Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 42. And chapter 16, verses 1 to 12. Let's read uh, verses, uh, chapter 12, verses 38 to 42. It says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But Jesus answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, uh, the great fish, sorry, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights. In the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Let's flick over to chapter 16, and we're just reading from verses 1 to 12. So we're picking up from, from the last story. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came. And to test Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it's evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. If the Canaanite woman and the crowds in Tyre and Sidon exemplify people who are starting to see who Jesus is, by faith, they're flooding into Jesus' kingdom. Then this next group, Pharisees, the Sadducees, they depict the exact opposite, those who are outside of Jesus' kingdom. They might think they're very religious, and they do, but they're outside of Jesus' kingdom because they don't see who he is. Their faith isn't established on him and on the promises that he fulfills from the Old Testament. 
they're just established on their own righteousness, what they think will get them into heaven. These are people stubbornly staying outside, and Jesus says their time is up, really. There's a repeat request. Chapter 12, what was the request? A sign from heaven. Chapter 16, what's the request? The only difference is that the Pharisees have teamed up with the Sadducees, which is quite surprising because they hated each other. That's the only difference. They're both opposing Jesus, and the request is the same. Did they think they were going to get another response? And then you ask your mum or your dad, can I have that iPhone? And they say no. And you ask again, thinking you get a uh, different response. No, you get the same response. And Jesus says exactly the same thing, doesn't he? He says in verse 4, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left and departed. Jesus momentarily returns to Galilee, but the tune hasn't changed one bit. We see that the Pharisees and Sadducees have teamed up to oppose Jesus. There will be those who won't acknowledge Jesus' authority. And this is the key thing. They won't acknowledge Jesus' authority. That is an authority over all people, including them. They say that there is no greater authority than their own. So why listen to Jesus? In fact, we know Jesus that we're the ones to listen to, not him. Because he needs to fall into line. It's frightening, isn't it, just how little airtime Matthew gives to their request here. It's dealt with and done and dusted within a few verses. Jesus simply repeats the response and walks away. And if you know anything about Jesus withdrawing in Matthew's Gospel, it's always a sign of judgment. Do you remember how Jesus said, um, those who have will be given more and they will have an abundance... And those who do not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. Those who do not have, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they had Jesus. They saw him. He was there. And yet, even he will be taken away from them. And Jesus walks off in judgment. So, really, this is quite chilling to see that their time is up. In fact... This is the last, very last record in Matthew's Gospel of Jesus doing any ministry in Galilee. That's sobering, isn't it? That, that was it. And yet, through hardness of heart, through unbelief, they just didn't listen. What they saw of Jesus um, made no difference. And they want a sign from heaven that proves his authority. But Jesus made it perfectly clear last time they asked that, that there'll be just one sign of Jesus' authority. And they don't get to decide what that sign is. So they can't say to Jesus, we want you to do this to prove your authority. He says, this is the sign. Write it down. Take note. The sign of Jonah. And the sign of Jonah back in chapter 12 was his death and resurrection. So the only sign of of Jesus' authority is going to be his death and resurrection. And he says, if you want proof of my authority over all things and all people, just look at my death and my resurrection. And if that won't prove it to you, then nothing else will. And it's the same today. People will say, I need more proof that Jesus is going to return. But that Jesus actually is the king of the world. That it's claimed, that the scriptures claim that he is. And yet Jesus says the only proof of that 
that the only sign that you can see in that it was recorded in scripture, you can see the eyewitnesses saw it, is his death, death and resurrection. So we're just going to get to that um, second part of part two, which is distraction. And this really is the, um, so Matthew's writing to some followers of Jesus, and his concern is the same as Jesus' concern, that they don't get distracted from trusting him. Okay? So you'll notice Jesus, uh, Matthew didn't give much airtime to the Pharisees in their conversation with Jesus. That was done and dusted. He gives more time, doesn't he, in chapter 16, to the disciples and their conversation with Jesus. Let's read that. Um, We haven't read it yet, so let's read from verse 5. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it amongst themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not yet remember? Uh, Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you failed to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisee and Sadducee. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. You can sort of see how it's worked. The disciples are already thinking, Flip, he gave us one job to do, bring the bread, and we've, we've, we haven't done that. We're on the boat. It was, you know, it was quite abrupt. Jesus is leaving. We're now on the boat. Have you got the bread? You got the bread? No, we don't have the bread. Ah. And that, that's what's playing through their mind. And so when Jesus talks about the leaven to describe the, the, the teaching of the Pharisees, which has, can spread, just as yeast affects the whole dough, when he uses that expression, they think, oh, leaven. They haven't quite heard what Jesus has said, has said have they? But they, they're obsessed with the thing that they're concerned about. And yet Jesus is trying to warn them of something a bit, a bit more serious. Um, in fact, it's pretty serious because he he warns them three times. Back in chapter fourteen, uh, chapter fifteen, he said, "Let them alone. Leave these guys alone. They are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit." So Jesus does not want them listening to these guys. He does not want them listening to the teaching of the Pharisees and the scribes or the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And that's because they put their confidence in, in their own authority. And they claim to have the authority of God, but they don't, because they don't recognise who Jesus is. And um, in this chapter, um, chapter 16, he says twice, doesn't he? He says in verse 6 and verse 11, he repeats the warning to them. So it's got to be pretty serious. And Matthew certainly seems to think that his readers, the person he's writing to, and writing this gospel to, were in, had a similar danger facing them. They could listen to the authority of the people who speak the loudest and the people who claim to know God, or they can listen to Jesus. 
and one is kind of at war with the other. We can see, can't we, that the disciples are sort of, what's the word, infatuated a little bit or with the Pharisees and Sadducees because if you look at verse, um, chapter 15, verse, actually it's just, just before the verse that we read, let them alone, in verse 14. I'll read it. It says, they come to Jesus. They say, do you not know that the Pharisees were offended, Jesus? That kind of shows that they care what the Pharisees think. Jesus has started to say some stuff which has offended the Pharisees. And they come saying, yeah. do you know they're offended? And so um, they are really concerned about what the Pharisees think. And they're, they're more likely to, to sort of cower to their authority and to, be, to listen to what they're saying. Um, so, so Jesus wants to warn them about that. It's quite comical, isn't it, that uh, he speaks about leaven and then they say he's telling us off for not bringing the bread. We had one job to do and we couldn't even do that. But Jesus diagnoses the issue and he says in verse, um, what's the verse? Um, verse 8 Jesus, aware of this, he says, are you of little faith? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets you gathered? He's saying, you can see what I could do with such a small amount. You can see that I could feed 5,000 people with just five loaves. And 4,000 people with just seven loaves. What do you think I can do with no loaves, disciples? Do you think that's going to be a problem? Probably not. And so he's, he's saying that they're, they're getting distracted, really. There's something that maybe it's the task that they've been given to do, that they're just consumed with that. And they take their eyes off the fact that Jesus is, is God himself and can do far more than they can imagine um, and so they're, they're, they're wavering aren't they and the danger is for people who are wavering saying Jesus I, I don't know if I can trust you is that they will go towards people who have authority like the false teachers so that's what he's, his warning is for the, for the disciples uh, we're coming into land presumably all they needed to do was to recall Jesus' works in the past his mighty works to remember that's why Jesus says remember Jesus had not long fed 9,000 people and put aside 19 baskets for the bread for them and he reminds them of his care for them they can trust him well what about us what will the Canaanite woman that was the first story part one and the Pharisees and their request for Jesus. What will it teach us about our need for him? Well, if you're, a, if you're not a believer, the, the invitation is to seize Jesus in terms, in terms of humbly and boldly coming to him for mercy. We saw that in the women, didn't we? Not to proudly assume there'll be many more opportunities to do that, because the Pharisees thought that. Maybe there won't be. And so can I invite you, if you're hearing this today, perhaps on our website, 
And you, you think, actually, Jesus is who he claims to be. There's no two ways about it. He is the Son of God. How could he do those things if he wasn't? And he is the one who I can come to for mercy, to know God and to be in his kingdom, a kingdom that will never, uh, never be stopped and the kingdom that is going to spread throughout the whole world. Um, you might want to ask him for that and you can do that humbly, saying, I don't deserve this. In fact, I deserve everything but this. But you can do it boldly, knowing that he puts that invitation on the table. Just like the woman. He's saying, ask. And she does. Even, even if it's just the crumbs. And if, if it's just the crumbs, and we've seen just the, what the crumbs look like in this story. You know, 4,000 people fed. If that's the crumbs that fall from the table of this kingdom... Imagine what the whole f- feast is going to look like, or the final banquet's going to look like. It's like, it's a foretaste, isn't it? It's a tiny little picture of what that final feast is going to look like. Jesus' kingdom is universal. And his, he is the one to, to come to. He's the king of that kingdom. And if we won't come to him, it's because we think way too much of our own authority. That's the truth of it. I think if we don't recognise Jesus' authority, probably because all we can see is our own authority. We're the ones who call the shots, not you, Jesus. In fact, when you come along with your claims and your uh, commands, you need to know that you need to fall in line with, with my life and not the other way around. You don't want to be someone who, like the Pharisees, who had Jesus before your eyes... Like they did. They, they had the opportunity to know him and to see him. And yet, uh, they do nothing about it. You don't want to refuse to acknowledge his authority over all people. Um, so that's for the, if you're new to this. Um, if you've been to church a lot, um, we saw in the first half of chapter 15, didn't we, um, last week, how adding to the requirements of God... Uh, in his word shows an unchanged heart and we can be very very religious we can do lots of religious things perhaps we we do way more than everyone else Uh, but we can have an unchanged heart and the twin of that proud unbelief of adding to God's word is actually saying to Jesus you need to do more you haven't quite done enough to convince me and if you say I need something more Perhaps I need my own personal experience of God and his power, or else I'm not going to believe. Jesus' words to you would be the same as to the, to the Pharisees. The sign is my, my death and resurrection. That's the only sign to be given to you. So rather than coming to Jesus saying, you've got to show me, da 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 and then I'll believe, recognise that he's saying, I've already died and risen from the dead. And if that's not going to convince you, then nothing else will. The application for for believers, uh, if you're a Christian here today, well, just like the disciples, we forget what Jesus has done. Even if it happened, even if we're a new Christian. (laughs) Maybe a, a few weeks old as a Christian. We still forget what Jesus has done. And so we, we waver. 
And in our fear, we're inclined to move our confidence away from Jesus to the prevailing authority in our time. So what the false teachers are saying. I was struck, actually, one of the things that this convicted me of was when I start my day in the morning, do I open up on my computer BBC News to tell me what's going on and, and what's important? Or do I go to my Bible? Which one do I do first? You know, I often, BBC News, Facebook, you know, find out what's going on in the world, find out what I'm going to be thinking. But that's just, that's just the wrong way around, isn't it? If Jesus is the one, if I'm going to have confidence in Jesus and his authority and put my confidence in that, then I need to go to his word. So that he would keep showing me what he's been doing, what he's always done. Um, so that I wouldn't forget. That's what Jesus does for the disciples. He said, do you not remember? Do you not remember? Do you not remember? It, you know, he, he, we do forget. But he reminds us. Uh, instead of taking the lead on what matters most in life and how we should live from, from false teachers who are just, who are just blind, leading the blind, um, we need to keep hearing what Jesus says and from him. I think we're far too casual about the tendency, uh, driven by the approval of others, uh, to, to just go with what everyone else is saying we should be doing. And that's me too. Um, yet Jesus isn't casual about that at all, is he? He warns them sternly. Leave them alone. We need Jesus to keep reminding us of all he's done for us, uh, or we'll forget and lose confidence in him, and we'll look elsewhere. It's worth saying that this is why we need to be part of a church family. Um, we need to have other people who are encouraging us uh, to keep going back to God and his word, to keep hearing from him. We can't do the Christian life on our own. And actually, if we proudly think we can, um, that's deeply concerning. Because when we decide we'll be better off on our own, uh, that's when we're most vulnerable. Um, so it's great uh, to, that you guys are here and we get the opportunity to hear from God's word together um, and to remind um, each other um, of what, what he's done. Uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you uh, that you save. Uh, thank you for your mercy uh, for all people. Thank you that you are the Messiah, the promised one. Thank you that your kingdom is uh, an invitation uh, to those who don't deserve it, to those who are outside your kingdom. Uh, we pray that we would be humble knowing we're coming to you um, as sinners and yet we pray we'd be bold knowing that you uh, welcome sinners and that you save uh, please um, don't let us be those who would uh, see you have you before us and yet be unchanged please would you give us a new heart by your spirit that, that we might have faith in who you are to believe who you are. 
Um, we, we pray for, for our estate as we will go on to do in a moment. We, we pray that people would uh, be humbled and yet boldly flood into your kingdom. We pray for, for people from every tribe and tongue and nation and background uh, to be saved uh, by you. And we pray that it would bring you great glory. We see that um, the crowd was delighting, glorifying the God of Israel, bringing you glory. We pray that the transformed lives um, of the people you save would bring you glory. So others would see how great you are. Amen. Um, well, I didn't say this at the start, but we usually do have a little interlude, whatever you want to call it, where we just say one thing that we think that was a new thought for me and that's something I'd like to go away and think about or a question, something to clarify um, what we've been looking at 